RadioInfluence.com. thing that I never thought in a million years would happen. happen. The champion, the challenger, here we go! This is the MMA Report with Jason Floyd on Radio Influence. Welcome into a new episode of the MMA Report podcast. I am Jason Floyd, and this is the interview edition of the MMA Report. Coming up here on this episode, you're going to hear the conversations that I had just a couple of days ago with Bellator 282's Danny Sabatello, also UFC Vegas 57's Vanessa Demopoulos. Danny Sabatello, of course, be taking on Leandro Higo in the quarterfinal round of the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix, and Vanessa going to be taking Taking on Jin Yu Frey there at the next UFC Vegas card there, of course, at the UFC Apex. Of course, uh, always appreciate everyone taking time out of their day to download and listen to this episode of the MMA Report podcast. Of course, great way to show your support for the show is by leaving a rating and review, whether you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to this podcast. If you could uh, leave a rating and review, uh, very much would be appreciated. Before we get into the interviews, do want to talk about what happened yesterday afternoon in Las Vegas, UFC Vegas 56 headline by Alexander Volkov scoring a first-round TKO victory against Jarzinho, Rosenstruck, Movar, Evolev going out there and getting a unanimous decision win against Dan Ige. And probably, you know, when you talk about uh, the biggest storylines heading out of last yesterday afternoon's card, probably has to be with the stoppage in the main event uh, for Volkov's win. Herb Dean stopping that fight there in the first round. And, and as I tweeted right after a fight was over, I thought it was a good stoppage by Herb Dean. The, the only thing about Herb, it's just kind of how he stopped the fight. He's He just, just the way he stopped it, make it look bad. But to me, it was a good stoppage. Volkov had, had knocked out the mouthpiece out of Rosenstruck's mouth, and he was just in a bad position. I understand for Jarzinho Rosenstruck why you would not be happy with that stoppage. But overall, I thought it was a good stoppage. But Herb Dean got to be a little more decisive in terms of, uh, of stopping that matchup. But huge win there for Alexander Volkov. Be interesting to see uh, where he goes from there. You know, I said it last week is when I look at Alexander Volkov and I, and I look at Jarzinho Rosenstruck in the same way is I just don't look at their ceiling as heavyweight champion. I, I kind of look at their ceiling is probably around top five, top six. Just So we'll see you there. But uh, Alexander Volkov, of course, you know, he, you know, leading into this fight, he talked about the changes that he had made training into the mountains and then, of course, going over to L.A. to train. Didn't have his, his coaches and, and training partners in his corner because of visa issues that they had, so he, he had to put away a corner, get a corner together there, but a great win for him. Uh, in the co event, Evelev, I thought he looked absolutely amazing against Dan Ige. Looked great standing, looked great with, uh, obviously, the takedown, scoring nine takedowns in that matchup for Danny Gay, probably that you really got to go back to the drawing board and figure out what's next for him. Of course, he's been in some high profile spots here in the featherweight division. And really you, you look at these past couple of fights, it's the takedown defense just has not been there. So a lot of questions there uh, with Danny Gay, where he goes on from here. But Evelev, uh, I like to call out there of Arnold Allen and saying, Hey, I'll go to Arnold Allen's backyard there in England, get on the London car there on July the 23rd, but just a really impressive performance there by Evelev. 
of, uh, you know, in terms of uh, Almeida and Trezano, if you did not see that fight, that was a very excellent matchup there. Almeida getting the Tico win there in the third round. Uh, towards the end of the second round, there was an accidental headbutt that opened up just a massive gash on the forehead of Michael Trezano, but Almeida goes out there and gets to win a fun fight. Uh, Almeida definitely had the speed advantage in that one and impressive uh, performance there for him. Uh, impressive UFC debut for Kareem Silva going out there and getting a first round submission against Botello with five seconds left in the opening round. Just a, a beautiful you know shot that she landed and goes right to the takedown and then gets a submission there. Kudos to her. O'Day Osborne, man, has he looked good since moving to Syndicate MMA. Uh, a guy that used to train up there in Milwaukee. He has now moved to Syndicate under John Wood and looked absolutely amazing. Knockout win there against Adeshev. Alonzo Minifield going out there and, and you really just utilizing that wrestling, man, it comes out right at the start of that fight and just, just throws a bomb and gets that fight to the ground. And of course, uh, with Ascar, everyone knows kind of the, the story with him last week. Because of what has ha- transpired over the last seven days with his record, if you did not see the piece over Sherdog, where Sherdog wrote a piece basically about how they were uh, people around him were trying to falsify his record. I want to say he started the week at like 25 and 7, ultimately 19 and 12. If you go on the official MMA registry, I want to say they had him like 14 and 9 or something like that. So, uh, you know, I would be kind of surprised if you see him back inside the UFC after what had happened there. Uh, Carolina Cole with Kavish, man, she looked great. Uh, first training camp down there at American Top Team goes out and gets her first stoppage victory in eight years as someone in, over in the Oswald Discord chat said, that's a Bobby Green stat for you there. Of course, we all know that Bobby Green stat, but man, she looked great. Uh, rear naked choke submission there in the second round and, uh, you know, her giving credit to Joanna Jacek opening her arms to, to bring her down to American top team, you know, talk about the fact that, you know, she left her entire family to come to South Florida and man, she looked absolutely amazing. Felice Herrig retired after this fight was over, which really should not be a surprise because, you know, she had a comment uh, before this fight that kind of alluded to that, that if she didn't get the win here, that, uh, you know, I think her line was something along the lines of maybe it's time for the next chapter of my life. And uh, really not, not a big surprise that Felice Herrig goes there and be interesting to kind of see if she stays in in the MMA community or maybe does she move on, as she says, to the next chapter of her life. Uh, you know, you talk about uh, you know, obviously judging once again in the conversation following a UFC event, and that's in relation to the match between Joe Selecki and Alex Da Silva. A majority decision win for Joe Selecki, and all three judges had all different scorecards. We had one scorecard that was a 28-28 scorecard. We had another one that was 28-27, to and then the other one was 29-27. to The 29-27 scorecard is the one to me that just did not make sense. I did not understand why Sal Diamato scored the fight the way he did, as he is the only judge that gave the third round to Joe Selecki and and I thought it was a really clear scoring of this matchup and the fact of I thought the first and third rounds were Alex De Silva rounds the second round of course we had the point deduction and kudos by Chris Tyone to take a point away in that second round when Alex De Silva continued to put 
and curl his toes inside the cage. He warned him so many times in this matchup. And so it was a great point deduction there by Chris Tony. And what I love what Chris Tony did there is he didn't let he didn't stop the action. He just yelled out one point deduction. And, you know, for obviously Joe Slucky was in a great position there. Of course, one of the judges, Derek Cleary, did score it a 10-8 round, which, of course, then with a point deduction becomes a 10-7 round. Um, you know, look, I don't mind the 10-8 round there because, I mean, look, it was, you know, the only thing I would say, and I saw some people point this out, and I think it's a very good thought process with this, just it, while it was a dominating round by Joe Slucky, the, the damage was not there. So, But I do understand why people would score that 10-8 round. I thought overall, I thought 28-28 was a proper scorecard, and, you know, and... I, as I was watching the fights live, and by the way, man, love love me some afternoon MMA, a, a one o'clock Eastern Time prelim start, man. If we could do that every week, man, that would just be awesome. But obviously, I know that that's not going to be the case there. But um, you know, in, in terms of the you know the twenty eight twenty eight, I thought was a proper scorecard, but when it was taken some times before the scores got read and I tweeted about this I said man it just feels like we're about to get a 28-27 win here for Joe Slucky of course that was only one of the scorecards in that Uh, of course uh, also on this card you had Damon Jackson get the win against Dan Arguleta Uh, it's to see what Dan can do uh, at his proper weight class of course uh, stepping up into weight class take this fight here on short notice Uh, Benil St. Denise getting the win there submission win against Nicholas Stolze Tony Gravely man he looked good getting that first round knockout uh, in 68 seconds against Johnny Munoz Jr. Uh, Jeff Molina split decision win against Zagas Mulgov, uh, 28-29, 29-28, and 30-27. The 30-27 scorecard was kind of odd to me. Um, Could not figure out uh, getting the win against Andreas Mikulidis, just utilizing that grappling game. Uh, And then Aaron Blansfield gets the win there against J.J. Aldrich. Uh, J.J. Aldrich got off to a good start. In that matchup, and uh, but uh, second round, uh, Aaron Blashfield takes over. By the way, uh, something you note about, of course, when it comes to officials, and it was in the second fight of the night, Mark Smith, the referee. I mean, he must have warned Andre Michalidis of holding the cage nine times, nine times, maybe eight, maybe seven. I don't know, it was a ton of times. And it's just like, at what point do you take the time away? You know, I, I've had so many officials tell me that their first warning for things along those lines does not happen in the cage. The first warning is in the back when they go into the fighter's locker room and, and, and go over the instructions. I mean, it's just one of those things like, come on. That's why I think Chris Tyone get, deserves a lot of credit for taking the point. Uh, in, in the matchup against Alex da Silva because he he continued continued to just warn Alex da Silva and goes out there and uh, but man Mark Smith it's it's one of those things I tweeted like I tweeted about it. I was like how many fence grabs does it take before Mark Smith is going to take a matchup but that was UFC Vegas fifty six I, I thought overall an enjoyable afternoon of fights as I said love me some afternoon MMA you can give me some more afternoon MMA all the time I'll gladly take that of course uh, the UFC will be back at it this coming Saturday as that'll be the UFC see pay-per-view over there uh, in Singapore headlined by the light heavyweight title fight Glover Sharon defending his title against Yuri Prachacha. Uh, of course also you got the uh, the co-main event is also a title matchup Valentina Shevchenko defending her women's flyweight title against Stalia Santos uh, Weili Zhang and Joanna Janjacek they'll have their rematch um, no cops also on that card just kind of looking over at the card uh, Jake Matthews Andre Field a guy that just continues uh, to be one of the, the most active fighters in the UFC so of course myself and Daniel will preview that fight card on Wednesday's episode of the MMA Report podcast but this is the interview 
interview edition of the show, so let's get right into the interviews. Up first, you're going to hear my conversation with Danny Sabatella, who, of course, will be taking on Leandro Higo in the quarterfinal round of the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix here at Bellator 282 on June the 24th. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is one of the men that's going to be a part of the Bantamweight Grand Prix come here at Bellator 282, June 24th, of course, live from there. Mohegan Sun up in Connecticut. Danny, as always, man, appreciate the time. I was, uh, I was watching your uh, the press conference, the virtual press conference you had. Did you feel like you were getting under Team Higo's skin? Yeah, absolutely. You know, going into this fight, I knew I was going to get under his skin. I felt like I've already accomplished that. Um, and I'm going to keep getting under his skin. You know, one thing I do is I talk trash and I'm good at it and I'm good at getting under guys' skin. Uh, you know, this is mental warfare before you step into that cage. You know, a lot is on the line when you step into that cage. Some people have stepped in the cage and never came out. So there's a lot of thought behind going into the cage. And if you can get into a guy's skull before the fight, sometimes you can win before that opening bell even happens. And I think that's what's going to happen before I even get in there June 24th with the Mohegan Sun. Was there a, a point early on in your career where you you realized like the mental warfare got to your opponent? Yeah, you know, I grew up wrestling, started wrestling at the age of four. Um, and I've just always kind of talked trash. And even if I was on the wrestling mat um, and I was seeing my opponent upcoming, I would kind of like give him bad looks or kind of rub shoulders with him. Um, across the tournament. Um, so I pretty much always just talk trash. I've always tried to do mental warfare, always tried to get in people's heads, but it's just a bonus because the fans like to see it now in fighting. So it just really works itself out. You know, that's my personality. I'll always talk trash. I'll talk trash for having a thumb war, playing pinball, throwing darts. Doesn't matter. Um, it's really just authentic to me. You know, I know a lot of guys can't talk trash and they suck at it. And you could just tell that's just not their personality. That's not their persona. Um, but with me, that's just who I am. I'll always talk trash. And yeah, I've, I've talked trash my whole life. It's just, it's fun to me. You know, the bottom line, whether it's good for business or bad for business, doesn't fucking matter to me. I'm always going to talk trash. You mentioned in that virtual media day about the fact of you've been wanting to fight Leandro Higo for some time that, that you just, you like the matchup. Like, do you, do you remember kind of that point is when you maybe the first time you saw Higo fight? Yeah, I mean, I've liked this matchup for a while now, even before the tournament was announced. I've wanted to fight him maybe for years now. You know, growing up, I was watching him fight. He's fought for the title before, and that's just a guy that I don't necessarily like and I just think is overrated. You know, he's a jujitsu guy, supposedly. I say jujitsu in quotes because I think he fucking sucks at jujitsu. But it's a guy that I think I just have too much power for. You know, I'm too heavy on top for him, and I think I'm too skillful on the feet. Um, he doesn't really do too much on the feet, and I think that I can knock him out. Um, but I think it would be a statement to take him down and also be in his territory and dominate him there. So I don't really know where the fight's going to go. I don't know if it's going to be on the feet or on the ground. I think I'm just so much better either of those. Um, and that's kind of why I like the matchup. Um, just stylistically, I fucking like it. And then also just from a person uh, standpoint, I don't fucking like him. And you always want to fight someone you don't like. And this guy fucking misses weight all the time. His last two fights, he's missed weight. Even before that, he's missed weight a couple of times. And I just think that's so disrespectful to MMA. I think you can't call yourself a man if you're going to say you're do something and not do it. You know, and the problem is in this sport, I know a lot of people are missing weight and there's a lot of chatter about you know, weight cutting is a problem in MMA. And you know what? It's not true. We don't have a problem of weight cutting in MMA. We have a bitch problem in MMA. You know, when you say you're going to fucking make a weight, you fucking make it. There's no excuses for it. No one's making you make the weight that you say you're going to are. It's just voluntarily. You voluntarily say you're going to make the weight. You decide which weight class you're going to go and you fucking do it. So, 
you know, it bugs me and it just makes me want to slap him even harder uh, June 24th. But yeah, I'm very excited to beat the shit out of this guy. Finally. Has Bellator said anything to you of what happens if he does miss weight? No, just because I don't want to focus on it too much. You know, I know 20% of his purse will go to me if he misses weight, but either way, this fight is going down. You know, if he makes weight, we're fighting, obviously. And if he doesn't make weight, I'm still going to fight him. You know, sometimes if you miss weight by too much, the commission won't even sanction the fight and the fight will be off, but I'm still fighting him in the parking lot after, you know, June 24th, I'm fighting Leandro Higo, whether it's in front of thousands of thousands of people on Showtime or whether it's just in the parking lot, me and him, you know, but we are fighting um, and I don't really give a fuck if he makes the weight or not. You know, he can have that advantage if he doesn't want to make weight and call himself a man and be a little bitch instead. Um, but I, I don't really care. I don't want to put too much stock in it. You know, me personally, I don't think he'll make the weight. You know, not only has he missed weight the last two fights, but that was at 136. All these fights in this tournament are at 135 championship weight. Um, so I think he's going to be a little sucked down. You know, he hasn't made a weight class in fucking years now, so I don't think he'll make the weight, but I don't really give a shit whether he makes it or not. Do you view that as an advantage for you? Uh, the fact of, like you mentioned the fact, he's got to make 135. There is no one pound allowance. I mean, and, and obviously with, with what your fighting style is, with your pace that you bring to the fight, do you kind of look at that and say, hey, he's got to work so much on the weight aspect of this while I'm over here just working on my overall game? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the first thing that people will probably think is just that he'll have a hard weight cut. And I don't even view it like that. I view it as if a guy continuously misses weight, he's mentally weak and he's not disciplined. So I know right now he's not disciplined in his training right now. He's thinking about eating pizza and all that shit. And right now I'm hungry for his fucking blood. You know, that's what I want. I want to beat the shit out of him. So I think it's good that he misses weight in terms of, I think I'm going to mentally break him in there. I think after the first three rounds, he's going to be broken if it goes that long. Um, and that's how I see myself succeeding is breaking this motherfucker, torturing him, making him bleed, getting him tired, making it an ugly fight for him, making him want to give up, but not giving him the easy way out of just finishing him, but actually torturing him and then finishing him in the later rounds. So, yeah, I think it is an advantage, you know, whether he's cutting a ton of weight or he has his diet under control. He's not mentally strong like I am, and that's why I am going to break him in there, whether he makes the fucking weight or not. I can just tell. You can tell when you're looking at a guy and you're looking in his eyes if he's a true man and if he's mentally tough or not, and that guy's a piece of shit, he's a pussy, and I'm just going to beat the fuck out of him. Like You mentioned the fact of the pace that you bring, and I think when a lot of fans think of you and your fighting style, they think of that wrestling. Is there a part of you that wants to showcase the striking or is a mindset of like, man, if, if that takedown's there, I'm just going to, I'm going to take him down and, and do what I do. Yeah. You know, with this fight specifically, I think it's a fight where it can go anywhere and I'm safe. You know, a lot of times you game plan for these fights and you say, okay, we got to take this to the ground or we got to keep this standing with this. The game plan is just beat the fuck out of them wherever it goes. You know, I'm better on the feet. I'm better on the ground. I'm better everywhere than him. You know, I got nothing to prove except to get the victory and beat the shit out of him. You know, when I go into these fights, obviously it's not just to win for me, it's to torture them. And I think I torture him on the feet and I think I torture him on the ground. So I think the good thing about this fight is it's a total mixed martial arts fight. You know, this isn't just going to be a fight on the feet and it's not just going to be a fight on the ground. We're going to go both. I, I would bet it's going to be 50% on the feet, 50% on the ground. Um, I actually think he's going to shoot on me after I piece him up a little bit. And then I'll decide in the moment, you know, whatever presents itself, I'm going to take, you know, if there's an opening there to shoot, then I'm going to do that. And if there's not an opening, then I'm just going to fucking beat the shit out of him on the feet. You know, we have a set game plan a little bit, um, but I don't want to give away too much. But <laughs> honestly, the game plan isn't too strict just because you're so much better than the fucking guy. Um, I'm just going to go out there and just straight dominate him.
quick turnaround here. Uh, two months between fights. He hasn't fought in over a year. I mean, like as you think about the like, did you even take time off? You know, after the win against uh, Jornel. No, not at all. But I wasn't going to take time off either way. You know, the bottom line is I love fighting. I actually love practice. You know, a lot of people say they hate practice, but they love winning so much. So they do it to me. I, I was back in the gym the next day, whether I had this fight against Tigo or not, you know, that's just who I am. Um, you know, obviously I liked party and all that. So I had a fun weekend, but to me that Monday I was safe. You know, I had no injuries or anything like that. So I was back in the gym on Monday going hard and, and learning new techniques. You know, I, I say this all the time. The only thing I give a fuck about is fighting. And that's just true. You know, one of my coaches suggested maybe take a week off just to get my mentals back and just physically be fine. But why would I torture myself to take away from the gym? You know, I love going in the gym. Um, yeah, it's a quick turnaround, but if it were up to me, I would fight that next weekend after I beat the fuck out of Lugo. Um, but yeah, quick turnarounds is what I love. I'm hoping that they announced my next fight against Stotts is that next week. Obviously, that's not realistic, but if it were up to me, I would fight every fucking weekend. Like hearing you talk there, maybe just kind of think about the, the coaches there at ATT have to tell you to go home. Yeah, they do. You know what? And even sometimes when we're gearing up towards this fight, I sneak in a couple of sparring sessions that are harder than others. And they're kind of like, Whoa, like ease up, you know, we're trying to go into a fight, but when you're in sparring, you just get caught up in the moment and I'm just having so much fun. So, you know, obviously they're, they're there to have my best interest and they're the smart ones. Um, sometimes I'm just dumb throwing shit. Um, and even in my sparring, a lot of times I'm staying on the feet when they're like, what are you doing? Like the takedowns there, we all know you can take the guy down. So, you know, obviously they're there to be the smart ones. I just show up and all I do is listen to my coaches, you know, my head coach, Mike Brown, the best MMA coach in the game right now. I have full faith in him, you know, whatever he says to do, I do it. He can say, go into this fight against Tigo and keep your eyes closed and fight him blind. And I would fucking do it. And I'm pretty confident that I would still get the win. Um, but yeah, I have full confidence in my coaches um, and they're the smart ones in this scenario. Is it tough for you to like take a day off during camp? Like just like to, 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 you know, recover your body. I go crazy because what else am I going to fucking do? You know, I don't hunt. I'm not a hillbilly. I don't play video games. I'm not a nerd. I don't do anything other than just fight. You know, I just like to fight. I like to have fun with my friends, but I have fun with my friends after the fight. Um, and after getting that W, so there's really not much for me to do other than to practice, you know, and that's just how I want it. You know what? This career of mine and this fighting is just crazy, you know, and you have to be absolutely obsessed in, ter in terms of the normal mind and the normal people, if normal people don't think you're crazy and obsessed with it, then you're not doing it right and you're not going to be successful. So I kind of have to be I kind of have to be obsessed with this. Um, and going forward, I'm just going to stay obsessed with it. And that's how I'm going to reach the top. You know, one thing is that I talk trash because I've earned the right. You know, I go to the best gym in the world, American Top Team, twice a day, every fucking day, and I work my ass off. That's why I'm talking this trash is because this is all I give a fuck about and this is all I do. And I know I'm so much better than these guys because nobody's outworking me. I almost feel like when people are sitting and watching this fight here on June 24th, every time you throw an F-bomb out there, it's like you got to take a shot. Now, you might be back that drunk at some point. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I love that game. You know, everybody knows I'm a big partier. I don't do any drugs or anything like that, but I obviously love my vodka. Um, that would be a pretty good drinking game for people to do, but, yeah, you might be fucked up within a minute's notice. Yeah, I, I, I don't, it may not go, you know, you may not make it to the main event. <laughs> yeah, and the main event is my boy Johnny, Johnny Eblen. He's got a big fight against Musasi. Um, it's funny, we actually came into ATT around the same time. 
he came in maybe a little under a year before me, um, but he wrestled at Missouri. I wrestled at Purdue. So we always knew each other. And I still remember one of the first days at ATT, we were in classes and we were like, what the fuck is going on? We didn't know how to throw a punch. We didn't know any jujitsu. We just knew wrestling. And now you look at us, he's the main event. I'm the co-main event. And we're just going to run the fucking show June 24th. Like it makes me think we'll end on this. Go back to July 21st, 2018 underground cage fighting one. You get a, fir- a first round submission. What do you remember about that? Your pro debut? I don't remember much just because your first time in a fight, everything is just such chaos. You have so much adrenaline going. So I don't even remember what I even was. I don't even know if I could fucking look at that fighter in the mirror right now. I mean, I would just absolutely murder him, but it's funny to see how far I've come in that time. You know, I've just jumped levels very quickly. Um, And even in this tournament, you know, I wasn't even supposed to be in this tournament um, and I'm one of the favorites to win the tournament. So I love the path that I'm at and I attribute my success just to American top team. I just go to there every day, twice a day. And I just listen to them. You know, I'm a product of their success. As much as I want to take uh, credit for my success, and I really want to take all the fucking credit for the success, I can't. It belongs to ATT, and yeah, it's just the best gym in the world. And I still remember coming in as as a fresh guy, getting that first fight a few years ago, and, and look where we are right now. And there you have my conversation with Danny Sabatello. Appreciate him taking some time out of his day to talk to me about his matchup. Come up here, Bellator 282, the quarterfinal round of the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix. Of course, that fight card on June 24th will have the other quarterfinal matchup. That'll be Maga Magoff taking on Enrique Barzola. And uh, yeah, can you tell Danny Sabatello does not like Leandro Higo? But it was it was kind of fun uh, there towards the end of talking about uh, maybe uh, if, if people wanted to play a shot game every time Danny some tell you know says the f word uh you know you'd probably be blackout drunk but uh always enjoy talking to Danny Sabatello and look it's I, I think I truly believe this is a bad matchup for Leandro Higo you know I talked about it you know before Sabatello and Lugo I thought that Danny Sabatello is a dark horse in this tournament because of that wrestling and because of that pace but I will tell you this so you know listen to him talk there a little bit kind of makes me wonder if he's thinking about uh, wanting to win this this fight with his hands we'll see if that happens but I mean look I think you probably expect that he's going to go out there and utilize his wrestling and uh, you know look I brought up the question like what happens if Leandro Higo misses weight and you know he made it clear that you know hey he's going to fight him you know even if he misses weight and he goes and he says if the commission doesn't allow the fight he'll just go out there and take on Higo uh, in the parking lot there of the Mohegan Sun uh, but uh, yeah that's going to be a big part of it uh, you know and, and for anyone who watched the virtual media day they had uh, Leandro Higo really did not say much uh, in that interview and uh, I said on the podcast last week like Team Pitbull of course Higo part of Team Pitbull like do not engage in a trash talking uh, affair with Danny Sabatello because that's just not going to go your way and, and I'm sure Rafael Stotts this is my guess I'm sure Rafael Stotts is probably preparing like he's going to take on Danny Sabatello in the semifinals of this tournament of course uh the rest of that bellator card of course you heard danny talk about his teammate johnny eblin in the main event taking on gay guard musasi uh also of other notable matchups on this card Bryn ward back on the card i believe i want to say he signed a multi-fight deal with bellator now he's taking on cassius kane uh brent premise and alexander shalby that's a big matchup there at 155 pounds that's going to be on the preliminary card uh brent premise uh, a guy right there you know in line for a potential title matchup also uh Anatoly Tokov is on this card and I kind of mentioned last week this is one of those fights where I kind of feel like he was put on this card just in case something happens in the main event where they need someone to fill in 
Uh, also, uh, other uh, some prospects to pay attention to on this card. Cody Law, he's going to be taking on James Gonzalez. Cody Law looking to go to 7-0. and Also, uh, another fighter that's going to be looking to go to 7-0, and Lucas Brennan. Uh, he's taking on John, Johnny Soto. Also, Aaron Jeffrey, he'll be uh, making his Bellator debut on this card as well. But I'll tell you, when it comes to prelims, uh, to me, Lucas Brennan, Cody Law, two prospects to pay attention to. Dan Moret, Killies Moto, that's that's a good fight. And then, uh, Austin, you know, Sabah Hamas, he's on the, on the prelims. And, man, Sabah, he's he's always a fun fighter uh, to watch there. But, uh, of course, that, that card will be all about the title fight and then the two bantamweight Grand Prix matchups as those fighters looking to advance on to the semifinals. Let's move on to the next interview of this edition of the MMA Report podcast, and that is with Vanessa Demopoulos. She's going back inside the UFC cage coming up here on June the 25th, UFC Vegas 57. Sometimes I lose numbers to UFC Vegas cards. Uh, UFC Vegas 57, as she is going to be taking on Jen Frey. So I had a chance to uh, catch up with her, talk to her about what has been going on with her get her thoughts about this matchup and talk to her about how she just received her black belt. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a fire who's back inside the UFC Octagon here, UFC Vegas on June the 25th. Vanessa, appreciate the time. Let's go through your Instagram. And I was thinking about the career accomplishments that you've had as a martial artist. Where does beginning your black belt rank in terms of, is it, is it greater than the LFA title? Oh my gosh, man. Um, yeah, actually it is. So like, okay, I've competed in jujitsu for a lot of years and it was always like the biggest goal of mine to be able to like be a black belt. And like, I love MMA. So like the only reason I started jujitsu was to fight MMA. So then like winning the LFA title was like this like huge, crazy accomplishment but it's like jujitsu was always like, there's so much respect that goes into jujitsu, you know? And like, there's a lot of like rules and um, ways of like conducting yourself. And you have to be so much more to be a black belt in jujitsu. Like you have to be so much more whole, you know, versus like going in there and winning any sort of tournament or any competition. Like being a black belt in jujitsu is like, that's like a life accomplishment. Um, and not that winning the LFA title wasn't, but it was like, it was who I became in black belt and what it took to earn the black belt. And it was just so much like wholeheartedness that happened. Ah, yeah. Oh my God. I'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu. It's so cool. <laughs> now, did you know that promotion was coming or was that a complete surprise? I knew that the promotion was coming, but it's like every time I even thought about the promotion, I still cried. So like I would think about it and then like I'd start like tearing up and crying and getting emotional. And then like, I, I would like forget about it. And then I'd tell my friend about it and I'd start tearing up and getting emotional. And um, then when it happened, I was like, I couldn't stop bawling. Like they were taking pictures of me and there's like tears running down my face. They're like, get it together, Vanessa. I'm like, <laughs> I am, it's all together. <laughs> Like it was so amazing. <laughs> and obviously you, you still compete in jujitsu. It makes me wonder how different is the mindset when you walk into a jujitsu competition, as opposed to the mindset you're going to have on June 25th. 
Mm. Uh, jiu-jitsu competition is much more different than an MMA um, fight. But now that I'm in the UFC, I feel like the UFC is a much more different caliber than even like what the LFA was. You know, um, I, I used to feel like walking into an MMA fight that everybody is a specialist in something, you know. And when I walk into the jiu-jitsu match, I'm like, I'm literally facing someone else who is doing jujitsu day and night the way I was doing jujitsu day and night versus walking into an MMA fight. I'm like, man, like <laughs> I've got this crazy super tool in my belt and there's no way you're going to be able to come close to that. And, but now that I'm in the UFC, it's like, well, everyone has their super skill, you know? So you have to like be so much more well-rounded and so much more whole as a martial artist versus being such a good high level experienced grappler. So it makes me think about, is there a submission like bucket list item for you to pull off, whether it's in a jujitsu competition or inside the UFC octagon? I want to hit my stripper choke in the octagon. Okay. Cause like I've hit this in tournaments, I've hit it in competitions and um, I just want to do it in the octagon, but uh, I don't ever push for anything. You know, like I get what I, you know, I get what's given to me um, and I create the opportunities as they are presented. So I, I don't, you know, I'm not like, like how sugar Sean was like, almost about to finish that one dude. And he was like, no, no, I'm gonna let him back up. You know, like I, I want this KO. I want this KO. Cause he had made all those shirts about it. Yeah. Like, I don't care what I get, but that is like on the bucket list eventually. <laughs> is that always a, a mentality you've had of sitting there going, you know what? I'm just going to take what's there as, or was there kind of a, a, a turning point for you where you kind of realized like you were trying to force things inside competitions? Yeah, uh, I've competed so much that I know my bread and butters. You know, I know the things that I am very, very good at. And I do go into competitions knowing exactly what it is that I'm going to get. And normally I do get exactly that. Um, but I don't, it's harder in an MMA fight to do that because there's so many other moving factors. Yeah. Versus like a jujitsu competition where it's like, you already know exactly the way that things are kind of going to play out. Like you can map it a little bit easier. Uh, but in MMA fights, um, you can still map things, but the fight's going to happen. The fight's going to unfold. And there have been jujitsu competitions where I'm like, Oh, this didn't go exactly my way. Like, all right, like let's keep moving, you know? Yeah. In terms of your expectations for Jin Yu Frey, what, what are you expecting to see from her? Oh, I guess um, there's been a lot to look forward to in this fight. And that's something that you guys also get to look forward to with me. Like, as you think about when you, as you visualize a fight, is it one of those things where you just visualize it so many different ways because you're thinking about, okay, you know, maybe she's going to come in here with a one-two combination or maybe she's just going to straight up go ahead and shoot on me. Like, do you just, is it just so many different visualizations that, you just like picture this fight going so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, she's, she's, uh, she's very well-rounded. So, I mean, you don't get to the UFC, you don't get to be a champion of the division that she was a part of without having some skills in the bank. Like, do you, is your mentality more of it's about you? Like, you know, cause like I was talking to a fighter earlier today and they were talking about, there was this, this point in their career where they were just so obsessed with their opponent. 
Like you just they thought everything about well they do this well they do that well da da, da and they they forgot about themselves. Did you ever have that kind of moment in your in your career where you kind of felt like I'm giving too much attention to my opponent? <laughs> no, I've had moments in my career where I was like, "What is their name?" <laughs> so um, yeah, I've had those moments in my career. So I've definitely come a long way from that. Uh, I was on the other side of the fence, where um, you know now I think I have a very healthy relationship with the way that I look at fights, especially now that I'm a fight analyst. Um, I get to kind of see things from a more like dialed in perspective and being able to study, um, you know, with a different set of eyes. Of course. So you just started doing the, the stuff with extra rounds. How did that come together? Uh, because I was starting to do um, commentating for jujitsu competitions, uh, particularly the EBI. And um, I got to work with TJ DeSantis and he's, you know, been in the game for so long and getting to work side by side with him. We worked very well. And he was like, man, like natural at this. I was like, Hey, thanks bro. Like I kind of freaking love this. And uh, he is the, the main host of the extra rounds. So he offered me the opportunity. And of course I jumped onto it and I just feel so honored to be a part of the fight past family, um, to be able to be a part of like the fight UFC, like unity and just have something to look forward to in between my fighting that I can stay so immersed in the sport. In terms of obviously this fight will be in the smaller cage as opposed to your last fight was in, was in the 30 footer. Do you, do you have a preference in terms of whether the, you, you prefer to fight the 25 or 30 footer? <laughs> Man, give me less space to work with. Why not? Let's go. You know, I'm a little person. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have a preference. I feel like the more space that you give us, like the more space we're going to use, you know, and um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. That doesn't really make the bigger difference. Even with the last fight, I was supposed to fight at the apex originally. So that was something that my mindset was looking forward to. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my opponent had caught COVID the week before. So we moved the fight backwards and yeah. So then we were in the giant cage and that was super awesome. You know, like I'm very versatile. Like I, I'm, I'm going to go with the flow. Like I don't let too many things like shrug me. Like uh, speaking from a, a fight analyst perspective, do you think it changes the fight when it's in the 30 footer footer as opposed to a 25 foot cage? I mean, I think that it definitely can. Um, and that, that definitely depends on the fighter though, as well, you know, like how finite are they in the way that their mindsets are, you know, like how versatile are they? Like, are they super like stuck in like one way of thinking or i mean because honestly like all fights kind of they start off in the middle you know so um if, if there's someone who's always like likes to fight up against the cage then yeah that changes the fight a lot you know the cage is a lot farther away to get to so yeah it definitely depends on the fighter and of course everyone's going to see your fight here at ufc vegas 57 june the 25th of course inside the ufc apex there everyone can watch it on espn plus vanessa as always appreciate time of course let me know they can follow you on social media anything else you want to mention no things are awesome things are amazing if you guys want to come check me out little monster demo on instagram and i also have a youtube page now little monster so you guys can come and watch and be a part of the fight journey with us as we lead up to june 25th 
And that was my conversation with Vanessa Demopoulos. I appreciate her taking some time out of her day to talk to me about her matchup coming up here June the 25th, UFC Vegas 57, as that'll be on June the 25th. As I mentioned, that'll be actually a nighttime card. Going to be headlined by Sarukian and Gamrot. Nice little matchup there at 155 pounds. And uh, we'll see how Vanessa can do there against Jin Yu Frey. Uh, you know, that the interview was done via video. You can ch- check that interview up on, on the MMA Report uh, YouTube channel, which, by the way, I uh, appreciate if you could, uh, you know, throw a, a subscription over there, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell. Uh, it does help me out a lot as well. But looking at the rest of that UFC Vegas card, uh, come up here on June the 25th. Of course, uh, we got two UFC events prior to this. Of course, got the pay-per-view coming up on Saturday. Then they're in Austin uh, for that card. That's going to be headlined by Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett. I absolutely love that match. I think that's a great matchup. Uh, looking at some other ones, you got Chris Curtis taking on Rodolfo Vieira going to be a part of this card here on June the 25th. Tim Elliott taking on Amir Albazi. Uh, you got Rock Monoff versus Magni. That's a great matchup there. At 155 pounds, uh, Yagos and Tiago Moises is on this card. Uh, you would imagine that, uh, you know, obviously that could, fight could probably play out on the ground between uh, Yagos and Moises, but Moises might ultimately just keep that fight up there on the feet. Uh, TJ Brown is a guy I've had on the show uh, p- countless times. Uh, he's a part of this car. Also, a matchup that was just announced yesterday, Mario Batista and Brian Kelleher uh, at 135 pounds. You know, Mario Batista is one of those guys. I just he, He's kind of like... I feel like people just kind of sleep on this guy a little bit. He just goes out there and, uh, you know, he had that loss to Trevin Jones, but that was his first loss in UFC since losing to Corey Sanhagen. Uh, you know, prior to that Trevin Jones fight, he'd won back-to-back fights, and, and one of those wins was against Miles Johns. It was a great win. He's coming off that uh, decision win against Jay Perrin. So uh, he's one of those guys, kind of a, an under-the-radar guy there at 135 pounds. But, uh Look forward to, you know, of course, every week, look forward to the UFC cards. Of course, got the pay-per-view coming up this weekend with UFC 275, which uh, does kind of uh, feel like it's uh, maybe a little bit of a, a coronation here for Yuri. I will tell you, I was watching that um, commercial they had on during the broadcast yesterday about uh, the Fight Pass show they've got about Clover Share, talking about his uh, what what he did to make it to the United States from Brazil. I'm actually, I want to say it debuts on Thursday. I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that out. Uh, also, by the way, speaking of Fight Pass, if you did not see the highlight of Bo Nickel made his MMA debut on Saturday, Icon 3, which is a Jorge Masvidal show, and he went out there and knocked his opponent out in 33 seconds. Obviously, everyone knows about Bo's wrestling abilities, and man, he went out there and going to be interesting to kind of see how long that path is for Bo Nickel before he gets a huge opportunity, you know, whether, you know, Bellator maybe tries to, to open up the pocketbooks to bring him in, or maybe maybe he's going to sit there on the regional scene and, and wait for that UFC offer to come, but man, that the sky is the limit for that kid, and man, I'm, uh, he is one of those guys that I am just really fascinated to kind of see uh, what he does over the next, you know, two to three years. Uh, also, speaking of... Um, young talent on Wednesday's episode, myself and Daniel, we started talking about Valerie Laredo and basically about, I don't know, an hour or two after we recorded the show, it, the news came out that, uh, apparently Valerie Laredo's got a contract offer from the WWE and is expected that she is going to sign that and that Bellator is going to freeze her contract. 
And uh, she's going to go the WWE route, which will be, uh, you know, very interesting to see how that one does play out for her. Uh, obviously, you know, she's, uh, you know, you know, has done great for Bellator in terms of the social media interactions, but has always been just a very much of a developing fighter. By the way, uh, mention about uh, some other things that happened this past weekend in MMA over at LFA uh, Harris, uh, who I'd had on the podcast. He got a win there in the co-main event, a guy that probably on the fast track to the UFC, maybe gets on a contender series coming up uh, this summer. Uh, Michael Sack, a guy that I have interviewed a couple of times, uh, was unsuccessful in claiming the LFA vacant featherweight titles. Delano got a unanimous decision win there. Of course, if you miss those fights, you can catch that over at UFC Fight Pass. Uh, as of course, it's always over there. So be sure to uh, always enjoy. Check out the LFA shows over there on UFC Fight Pass. So uh, that is going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, new episode will come out on Wednesday as myself and Daniel will get you ready for UFC 275. And uh, I'm going to try to get these interview editions uh, shows out every Sunday for you. Of course, I do appreciate Danny Sabatella and Vanessa Demopoulos joining me here on this episode of the podcast. Of course, as always, great way to show your support for the podcast. Leave a rating review on your favorite podcasting platform. If you're not following me on Twitter, at Jason underscore Floyd, always appreciate the follows. And of course, if you can uh, subscribe to the MMA Report on YouTube, we got a ton of interviews are, uh, that are up there every single week. Try to, try to get about three or four to five fighter interviews up on, on the um on the youtube channel of course uh, wednesday's episode of the podcast we now put on youtube as well so that's going to do it for this edition of the mma report podcast which comes on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com 